I want to start our time this morning sharing about a river that is inside an ocean. Specifically, a river that's inside the Atlantic Ocean. This river has no real banks, but if we would drop a thermometer inside that river, we would see that its temperature is actually warmer than that of the ocean that it's in. If we looked at the color of this river, we would see it having a cobalt blue, very different from the blue-green color of the ocean that it's in. This river is known as the Gulf Stream. It's a fast, intense, clockwise rotating system of warm currents in the Atlantic Ocean that starts in the Gulf of Mexico, and you see in the map here, it proceeds through the Strait of, Flor Straits of Florida, follows along the eastern coast of the United States, all the way up to Canada, and then shoots across the Atlantic Ocean towards Iceland. The Gulf Stream transports as much as 4 billion cubic feet of water per second, an amount that is greater than all that's carried by all the rivers of the world combined. It stretches 40 to 50 miles wide across the coast while traveling along the North America coast. It appears much bluer in color, as I mentioned, and has, even has a higher salt content. The Gulf Stream is extremely important because it provides a global climate that allows us to have moderating temperatures along the neighboring land areas of the East Coast, the coast of Western Europe, Northwestern Africa, and other coasts along its path. In the United States, for example, in fact, this is a great time to think about Florida, so Florida in the winter here, it allows the southeast coast of Florida to maintain warmer temperatures during the winter months than the neighboring off-coastal states. So why am I talking about the Gulf Stream? Billy Graham has this concept that I appreciate. He describes us as Christians as being very similar to the Gulf Stream, and that is the Gulf Stream is water that's in the ocean, but it's not of the ocean. This mysterious river in the ocean ignores the ocean's tides. It travels a different course with a direction that's different, being from south to north, as we mentioned, its temperature is different, warmer than the ocean. We also mentioned its color is different, a deeper blue than the ocean. It's in the ocean, in a, of the ocean. And I'll be sharing today, just like how the Gulf Stream, we're in the midst of a big ocean called this world, and that's where God has put us right now. But also like the Gulf Stream, we are as different than the ocean in how it acts and looks. We too are to be different in the way that we think, speak, and act in this world. Jesus prayed that for us. We're gonna look at a prayer that he has to that. We're going to understand more what he meant when he prayed for us and how we would be sent into the world rather than taken from the world. Now, we're in week two of a sermon series entitled Beautiful Tension, where we're examining a pair of common biblical truths that seem to be in apparent tension with one another. We're delving into these paradoxes, as they're called, to see what they truly mean when we look at them side by side. Last week, Phyllis shared the first pair explaining how we're completely forgiven for our sins, yet we're directed to confess our sins on a regular basis. So they're fully forgiven, yet we have to keep confessing. And she talked about the difference between positional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. How in the, in the past, we have all of our past, present, and future sins forgiven, yet unfortunately, day by day, we do things that are really missing the mark and how we have to confess our sins to kind of restore our relationship with God. The next two weeks after me, Pastor Brian's going to be coming up and he's going to be sharing about troubled yet hopeful where we'll look at how do we deal with suffering, yet remain hopeful in victory. And then he'll finish up with our part, God's part, where we'll see God's sovereignty in the world and our responsibility in the midst of that sovereignty. But today I want to go back to look at a prayer that Jesus has for us. And he prays for us that we'll be sent into the world as he was sent in. And he also prays for us that we will live as ones in the world, but not of the world. So that's the tension we're going to look at today. And we're going to see how we're sent into the world to share his story, not have the world's stories grab a hold of our hearts. So please turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible app to John chapter 17. We're looking at verses 13 through 19. 
So starting in verse 13, it says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified, truly sanctified. So let's walk through these verses together. Let's start at verse 13. And in the beginning of verse 13, he says, I'm coming to you now. But he, says, he prays for his followers and for us to have the full measure of joy within them. So if I ask you to think about what gives you joy, what is it that, or even what joy is, this sense of joy that he's talking about, the sense of joy is a sense of deep inner gladness and delight in something or someone. So what is it that gives you your most joy? Here, the joy that he's talking about, this full measure of joy with him, comes from experiencing the grace of God. Basically, he is, it's an awareness of how God's grace reached back into our past and extends forgiveness, as Phil said, to everything we've thought, said, or done. It's a recognition of God's grace extends into the future and how it has us covered there. And it's a sense of gratitude for a gift that we received completely undeserved. Earlier in the same book of John, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and their joy may be complete. So when we talk about what is it that gives us joy, these are the things that are lasting joy, that stand the test of time in our lives. Jesus desires that this joy that we have is the same one that he had. And he had joy by coming and basically doing things on behalf of the Father, and that's what made him complete and perfect. And he wants the same thing for us. And he continues in verse 14. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world more than I am of the world. So here, when Jesus talks about the word that he gives them, it's really God's message, the sense of a good news, where we are reconciled to God because of what he did for us, nothing that we did on ourselves. So as a result, we're no longer of the world, just like Jesus isn't of the world. And we sang about this earlier. Mario led us in singing, where we sang how deep the Father's love for us as he demonstrated giving his only son to pay our ransom and to make a wretch like us his treasure. I want us to think back, if you think about different stories about God rescuing people, I want you to think about a story that goes back to Genesis 19 and tell you a story about a man named Lot. So Lot was a man, unfortunately, who really got caught up in the world, but God showed mercy on him, and he brought him out of this world, and basically he was taking him out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was in that world, but God was bringing him to no longer be part of it. And on his way out, God gave him very specific instructions not to look back. And Lot did it. So he recognized that God was rescuing him from the world and he didn't look back. However, in that same story, Lot's wife, who sadly remains unnamed, was not only of the world, but still the, Lord had, the world had a hold on her heart and caused her to look back and that ended up being her demise. So that's the way when Jesus talks about God's word here, he's talking about revealing God's rescuing plan that he has for them but it's a plan that's going to pull us all the way out of it and save us from it, not have us be caught back in it. Our spiritual eyes have been opened to understand and accept God's word and the love that he demonstrated for us, and now we live as ones who have that joy that he talked about in verse 13, a joy that's often referred to as unspeakable. When we have that joy, we no longer live of the world, but we're different in the way that we think about things. And I want you to pause, those of you who've started your journey with Jesus, just how, how different are you? How different has God given you ways to think about things, to talk, 
and to act from when you first started journeying with him. Because that's what happens. That's what we're going to see in our big idea here is that our character is becoming more and more like Jesus as a result of us spending time with him as opposed to the world that we came from. Now in verse 15, Jesus shares the first, first side of the big idea, and that is we're still in the world. Jesus in his prayer in verse 15 asks that God not take us out of the world, but leave us in it. Now what's nice is, is that, it's exciting, is that when he leaves us in the world, he doesn't leave us alone. He gives us, specifically later we'll see, his Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth and give us strength to follow him. Jesus was saying to God, don't take them from the world, but allow them to still be in it, but have the Holy Spirit as they make contact with other people. So we're kept here. So not only are we kept here to have contact with other people, but more importantly, he talks in this verse about being kept safe. Now, so many of us, when we go somewhere, one of these we pray for is that what? We'd have a safe journey, right, to there. Particularly those of you who came out here this morning, we appreciate you doing that here in the snow. But this safety that he's talking about is not so much a safety from a physical sense, but a safety from the temptations that we feel day in and day out to want to fit in with the world, to be able to do things according to our old nature. And what he's saying here is please keep them and deliver them from the world and take them in a path that follows him. But there's times I think, how many of you have ever wanted to just be done? <laughs> just be taken right up into heaven? <laughs> Particularly these days, right? We're, we're, we've kind of had enough. Um, this is where this prayer becomes so important because if you think about what the next days are going to follow Jesus and his disciples after this prayer is he's going to go to the cross, he's going to be raised again, and they're going to be left. And then they're going to be left with the Holy Spirit. And they're going to be left without him to kind of continue on his mission. So that's what we see in verse 16. Jesus shares the other side of the coin, and that is they're not in the world, as Jesus is in the world, but they're not of the world. Now this not being of the world is a sense of belonging. At the end of the day, I think there's a sense where we all want to belong. We want to belong somewhere. So I want to ask you the question, where do you feel like you belong? Where do you feel most at home? When we feel like we're most at home here on earth, we pursue things here. When we feel we're not at home here, we have inside of us a longing for something that's beyond this place, a longing for heaven. So I just want to pause for a second and think about what are the things, and maybe share with somebody next to you, if there's somebody sitting close, if not, maybe the person behind you or nearby, what is something that you really enjoy here on this earth? I think I heard chocolate somewhere. <laughs> Some of you are thinking Florida sunshine right now. So that thing that you may enjoy here on earth, that may not necessarily be a thing that's quote-unquote of the world, but now I'd like you to think about something. What is it that you're really looking forward to in heaven that's not here? Then so share with the person next to you. What is something you're really looking forward to in heaven that we don't have here? And I don't know if we'll have chocolate in heaven, so I really can't speak to that. That's a conjecture at best. So again, you know, God created in us both an appreciation for the world he put us in, but he also created in us a desire for things that are beyond this world. There's a longing that we have, a longing for heaven, because that's the place we eventually belong. And Jesus told an interesting story in Matthew chapter 13 about heaven 
In verse 44, we said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So what I want to ask the question is, if you look at this verse here, um, obviously this is, again, the, the longing for heaven that we're talking about and not being of the world, but what did this guy do? How did he say he did it? It said in the second part, and then in his joy... That's the same joy Jesus talked about in verse 13 where he said, when you have my joy incomplete. So when you find, when God opens your eyes, when you experience this treasure that he has for us, it creates that joy. And he sold everything. Basically, he left the perspectives of this world and gained a new eternal perspective. He went and, and hid it because he knew that something was waiting for him that was greater than ever he's experienced before. That's how he did it. So when we feel like we're most at heaven, we pursue things not of this world, but we refer things in an internal perspective. That's a different perspective we get in our minds that creates different character in our lives and the way that we think, say, and do things. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 2 encouraged us to set our minds where? On things above, not on earthly things. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy chocolate, right? That doesn't mean we don't enjoy the Florida sunshine or our friends or our family or other things. What it does mean is that there is something else that's waiting for us that's far greater that we're looking forward to. And that's what happens. So we see in verse 17, we'll turn to, in verse 19, Jesus talks about this process of sanctification. And Phyllis touched on it a little bit last week. I want to look at a little bit of a different angle here. Sanctification in general is this idea that our, as we talk about here, where Christianity is a matter of a heart and there's a sense of transformation that goes on in our lives. So we come to faith, but we did, Jesus doesn't leave us where we're at. He continues to transform our thinking, our speaking, and our acting in a way that more resembles him. So Paul talks about this, this whole process of sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I just go back for a second, I just want to mention this concept of kind of being transformed. Phyllis and I had the privilege recently of becoming grandparents. And even those of you who've become parents, one of the things you do is when your baby is born, the first thing you kind of think about, one of the first things you think about is who does that baby resemble, right? Does it look more like the mom? Does it look more like the dad? Obviously, as grandparents, we want them to look like us, right, and, and act like us. But what happens is, is as in our case, our granddaughter, Lily, as she grows up, we begin to see her appearance change, but we also see her character come out. Maybe the way that she laughs, maybe the way that she thinks about things, maybe the quirky little way that she does something, maybe the way she says something. It's more like our son Jacob, maybe more like our daughter-in-law Deanna. But the bottom line is, kids physically grow up, we see ways that they resemble their parents. And we say, oh, that belongs, it comes from there. And this process of sanctification, it's about growing up spiritually, where we become more resembling God the Father, in terms of the way that he thinks about things, the way he does things, and we say things like he would do it. We think about things the way he would do it. And we bear his resemblance. So this concept of sanctification is this process where God, as we sang earlier, holy, holy, holy. We become holy like he is through teaching his word and letting it dwell in us richly. In verse 18, Jesus finishes out this idea and he says, as you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So this verse here refers to them being his followers that he sent in, but more importantly, it applies to us as well. We are the ones who've embraced him, have identified ourselves with him, and are now indeed in him and not of the world. And Jesus uses the same concept when he was describing himself in John 3, 17, where he says, for God did not send his son, meaning himself, into the world to what? Condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. That sense of sending is a sense of really being a, a representative, one who does something. And this world, the concept of this world is the verse you're most familiar with, and that's John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that's the world we're talking about, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then lastly, we see both of these concepts melded together when John talks about in 1 John, really at the end of his life, and he reflects on what God did through him and through, his, through Jesus. And he said, this is how God showed his love among us. He said, as one is only son in the world, that we might live through him. And that's really what this prayer is about, living through him, living through him while we're being in the world. So I want to ask, how does that apply to us? How do we take this prayer and how do we apply it to our lives? The first thing is, in the prayer, Jesus talks about that he wants everyone to have the full measure of joy inside of them. He wants us to experience joy, both here and in eternity. And where does that joy start from? The joy starts from grace. Grace is where the joy starts. So I think sometimes if, if somebody says the word Christian or Christianity, what do you sometimes, let's talk among each other with somebody nearby, when somebody says that word, what is it sometimes some of the negative connotations that go along with that word that maybe aren't necessarily joy-filled? So share with one another maybe something, something comes along when people think about Christians or Christianity. So I think I heard words maybe like judging. Let me use a word that Maybe some of you aren't as familiar with. How about the word killjoy, right? Rather than joy, killjoy, right? There's a list of things that Christians do. There's a list of Christian things that Christians don't. There's not really this description of joy, joy in living. We should be the most joyful people out there. We have hope, both for here and more importantly, for eternity. And that's what Jesus' heart's desire is. He prays for us that we would have a full measure of joy within him. And some of you, this joy may be very foreign to you. This concept of joy in life. Maybe you're just living in despair. Maybe you're discouraged. So may today be the first day that you seek out Jesus and what he did for you. Because it's not what he needs you to do for him. It's what he's done for you. And that's really what the gospel is. Is that we, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full of this abundant life. So if you've never experienced that life today, we pray that that would be your experience. We pray that would be your heart's desires. Now for those of us who are following Jesus with our lives may be today that we discover the meaning of what it means to have this life to the fullest. So Jesus explained in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. So again, when Jesus is talking about the world and basically all the things that go on it, he's basically saying there's a path that most people follow. And that path doesn't lead to anything that's going to be lasting. Destruction is, is, is basically something that doesn't go anywhere in the end. It's a dead end. But he says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And this is the life he's talking about. And few that find it. So for those of us who found it, this is what creates a joy in our hearts. Now, this narrow road is one that comes from following him now, but also having a hope for eternity. So what does it look like? What are the things that we can do to experience this joy and to be in the world, but not out of the world? So I want to go back to his prayer. In verse 13, Jesus said that I want you, verse 14, he talked about his word. So I want to focus on three ways that we can basically do this for Jesus. But the first way is through the world, 
to be in the world but not of the world is to be regularly reading God's story. Jesus said, I've given them your word. And we're called to soak up God's word. So one of the things about a sponge is it just soaks up what's ever around it. And so whatever you put your basically sponge nearby, it's going to soak, soak up. So I want to ask, if you look back, um, most of you have what's called a smartphone. And your smartphone has, many of them have the ability to actually keep track of all the places that you've been using, like what apps you're using, what you're using those apps for. And oftentimes it's called screen time on one of the, one of the basic iOSs. And so if you think about what is it that you're spending your time soaking up, okay, that's really the thing that's going to begin to permeate your, your mind, your words, and your actions, because that's what's getting inside your heart. So if we look at our world and we think about what is it that's going into our, into our minds and our hearts, Jesus uses, Paul uses this thing in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and he talks about how the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if you want to know what is it that can be alive and active in your life, how do you soak up God's word, is you allow it to be active. And that's what happens is, is that what happens is, is we, unfortunately, as Phil shared last week, we're still fallen sinners, saved by grace, but we're tempted. We're tempted to have things come into our thoughts, into our, into our eyes, into our minds that are really by the world's behavior and their, their enterprises, and we fall into these temptations. Unfortunately, last week, Phyllis encouraged us what to do when that happens. We confess our sin, we reestablish that connection with the Lord, and we move forward. But also, if you go to Romans 12, 1 through 2, we have a choice. He says, therefore, Paul says, therefore, I urge your brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he talks about this world again. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, like we have here on the banner, by the renewing of your mind. So how do we renew our minds? By spending time in God's word. And it says, what will happen? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How often do we want to know what to do? Like, God, tell me what to do. Well, he says here, right? Renew your mind through his word, then you'll be able to know what God wants you to do. So the renewing of our mind happens as we read God's word, listen to it, and does what it says. James chapter 1, maybe many of you are familiar with this, and I won't put this one up here. It says, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, somebody looks at their face in a mirror, and after looking at it, and goes away, forget, immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do it, not forgetting what they heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So the first way that we can be in the world but not of the world is by spending more time in God's word. The second way for us to be in the world not of the world is for us to share God's story with those in our lives in a supernatural way. Jesus said early in the prayer, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. So I want to ask a question. Why did God leave his disciples in the world at that point in time? He could have taken them out of the world and just brought them right up to heaven with him. It's because he had given them to Jesus for a special work, to be his, their witnesses to his life, death, and resurrection, to publish the story of his love and the facts of his earthly history to the ends of the earth. And that's why we're here today, because they stayed. They weren't taken home yet. The Apostle Paul chose to describe their lives in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, saying, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. The disciples weren't the, the sharpest knives on the block. They weren't the most popular people in the club. Okay? They were people who were maybe considered foolish, who were weak. But God used them because it was the power of his, his life in them. 
to transform the world. So I just want you to ask the person next to you, why, why do you think God's leaving us here? Why isn't he taking you up to heaven right this moment? I know some of us would rather just be taken to Florida right at this moment, but why is he taking us from here at this time? Share maybe one idea with the person next to you, why you're still here. Why is God not done with you yet? Some of you maybe aren't sure, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that in a second, okay? But I can tell you that God has all of you here, including me at this time, because there's, and I heard it over here, there's still more to do. There's still more stories to tell. There's still more people to connect with. Someone connected with us because they weren't taken up yet to heaven. God was kind enough to let them be involved in our lives, and he is allowing us, we who have been crucified to the world, have been raised to new life, to be sent back to, to help free others. We have been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not merely to flee the darkness ourselves, but to guide the steps of those who are also in darkness right now. Rather than the world pressing us into its mold and making impression on us, we're here to be salt and light where we live, work, and play. As Russell Moore describes it, it helps us to think of ourselves more as diplomats of heaven who are living here on earth. The world is not our home. We live in this world of specific purpose, and that is to represent God and represent heaven through the way we live our lives in a way that's true to him and his word. We're ambassadors, as you've said in 2 Corinthians, who are put in this world to live in a way that shows people the, how amazing eternity is. Pete talked about amazing. How amazing eternity, not just that the, you know, the falls are amazing, which they are beautiful over there, but more importantly that heaven is beyond that. And we want to invite people to come with us. When we live this way, we will not fit into the place where we're living as our priorities and values are different and don't mesh so well with the people around us. We will be different. But rather than seek to normalize our words and actions fit in, we're to maintain our distinction, knowing that the values of the kingdom that we represent are very different. When we do so, this will be inevitably attract some attention. When somebody's different, that's what happens. They get attention. And this will provide opportunities for us to tell God's story. When we're living in such a way that those who are searching can see clues, there's something that we've received that is good and wonderful, something different. They'll be curious about it, and they'll want it for themselves. So the last way we be in the world but not of the world is Jesus talked about how we're going to be sanctified during our time here at this earth. This is the one I just want to spend a little bit of time with because it's going to be maybe a little different than you're thinking. So it's obviously, look, Jesus prayed for us to be in the world but not of the world. He prayed that we would receive his word. We prayed that we tell the story. Um, those all tie very nicely and things you've heard maybe many times before. This one is a little bit different, and that is I want to describe, really think about Jesus' life. And I, I hinted at this a little bit earlier. After he prays this prayer, did the disciples' life get easier or harder? Harder. Um, most of the disciples basically um, die for their faith. Very few of them don't. So their lives from this point on, as he says, look, keep them in the world but not of the world. Like if I was the disciples, I knew what was going to happen. I'd be like, I'm out. Like, like, like let, let, me, let me exit right here. Okay? They didn't know what was going to happen. But the bottom line is all their lives got significantly difficult. All their lives got significantly harder. And so at that point in time, and even later, another follower of Christ, Paul, says it very nicely. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what I want to say is one of the ways that we can basically demonstrate 
that we're not in the world but of the world is how we handle suffering, how we handle hardships. So I just want you to pause for a second. I have a lot to share on this one topic, but I just want to ask you, how do Christians suffer differently? And to talk to each other for a minute. What are, what are ways that Christians suffer? Why do we suffer differently when we experience different things that the same things that people in this world suffer with? So just share with each other one or two ways that you see that we suffer differently. So as we think about that, I just want us to think, I don't think that the pressure, stress, and difficulties we have in our lives are any different than those of the people around us. Um, there may be some choices that we make through God illuminating us with his word that allow us to avoid some heartaches, but the bottom line is, is that people who follow the Lord and people who don't follow the Lord, both of, them, both of them end up having health issues. Both of them can sometimes have challenges at work with a boss. They can have challenges with a neighbor. They can have challenges with a child. They can have challenges not only with physical health, but with mental health. There's all kinds of difficulty, stress, and pressure that we all experience. But the two things that we have that are different is one is we have a power that is given to us. When Jesus talked about basically protect them, he gave them the Holy Spirit to give them the power to overcome. And the second thing is he gave us a peace. And he describes it in Philippians 4, 7. He says it's a peace that transcends all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we experience hard things in life and people in the world see us, they're going to try to figure out why in the world is that person at peace? Why do they seem to have the power to push through? So rather than breaking down and falling apart, it's not that we keep it together, but that we have someone inside us who's keeping us together. It's not that we continue to press on despite all these challenges, but that we have a peace inside of our heart that came from outside of us that we can't describe. It's undescribable. And even sometimes we think we can live godly lives, but unfortunately sometimes if we allow the world to start to get a hold of us, it can take away some of that peace. It can distill some of the power. D.L. Moody put it this way. He said, Christians should live in this world, but not filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So we as Christians may live in this world, but if the world gets into us, then we sink. So how is it that we rise in adversity? We rise in adversity as we have the power and peace of Christ. So I just want to describe what this looks like to be connected with the Holy Spirit and how do you live life this way. So I want to go back to another analogy. Um, if you want to put up the next slide. Um, this scuba diver, okay, he is in the ocean, okay, but he's not breathing like a fish, okay, because he's actually having oxygen. So that oxygen, again, is God's spirit and God's word that he has a tank on, on the back of him. And he's able to scuba gyro, lives in the water, but he breathes the air. He takes an environment with him. And just like the scuba diver, we are in the world, but not of the world. Instead of becoming, as we become this way, we're able to kind of keep and, and stay in the world, just like with this guy with his oxygen. And lastly, I want to go back to our Great Barrier, or the, the Gulf, the Gulf Stream, okay? 
we started sharing about how we're similar to the Gulf Stream, which is water in the ocean, a river not of it. We looked at how the Gulf Stream, we are in the midst of the big ocean called this world, where people, where, a world of people where God has us. We see how just like the Gulf Stream is different than the ocean and how it looks and acts, we're to be different in the way that we think, act, and speak. We're encouraging by the deepening of our understanding more and more what it means for Jesus prayed for us to be followers of him, that we'd be sent into the world rather than taken out of it. It seemed that Jesus understood this beautiful tension we would experience as Christians living in a hostile ideological environment. Jesus prayed that we would connect with people in our world, with God and with his word, without allowing their core values, attitudes, and behavior to infiltrate ours. Just like that, flip back to the scuba diver for a second, Rob. Just like that scuba driver didn't allow, basically, if he, if, he, if he disconnects from his oxygen and begins to take in that water, he's done. So we need to stay connected through God and his word, through his Holy Spirit, but also be able to stay in the water to be able to experience and see things like this beautiful turtle. The author of the New Testament also encouraged us to continue our relationship with the world around us, but to be careful in a way that we live that pleases God, not those in the world. So as we think about the Gulf Stream today and the way that it's kind of that river inside the ocean. Our heart's desire is that we would continue to be in the world, but not of it, and more importantly, sent into it. Let's pray. God, please increase our love for your word and our desire to regularly hear from you. Help us to have your word be living and active in our lives. God, please increase our sadness for those who you put in our lives who are far from you. Help us to tell your story of what you've done in and through us. And lastly, Lord, please increase our perseverance to endure hardship. Help us not to lose hope, but to look forward to our eternal home where we will see you face to face. Help us not to be of this world, but gladly sent into it to bring hope to the world who desperately needs it. In your name, amen.